Welcome, everybody. I'm Shaylin Smith. And I'm Aubrey Byer. And you're listening to The The Resolute. Resolute. We are doing part two of Maya Angelou. And I do have a correction. So in her book, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, she describes this whole scene where her mother is this like white blonde woman and I took that to be very literal but it's just how they viewed her as this you know like they imagined her being this actress and this um but she was actually a black woman and so um I just misconstrued that so I did some more research and was super wrong so I apologize (laughs) um yeah she's oh gosh her story just gets increasingly fascinating and Shaylin's gonna post when she posts these episodes her books that a few of her books her poetry is phenomenal and I'm um now on her third autobiography and I there's just so much amazing writing that she's done and I really really highly recommend even though I'm just touching brief points of her life story um it it feels brief because of how much she's accomplished I really highly recommend everybody listen to her poetry she has a cd Hmm. of music out there I was listening to that this morning and um read her autobiographies they're incredible I'm, I think that's gonna be my my next read I have to yeah go check it out at the library but yeah I'm excited to read them I'm excited for you to read it too so I'm gonna start with another of her poems this poem is titled phenomenal woman many people wonder where my secret lies I'm not cute or built to suit a fashion model's size When I start to tell them, they think I'm telling lies. I say, it's in the reach of my arms, the span of my hips, the stride of my step, the curl of my lips. I'm a woman, phenomenally. I walk into a room, just as cool as you please, and to a man, the fellows stand or fall down to their knees. Then they swarm around me, a hive of honeybees. I say, it's the fire in my eyes, the flash of my teeth, the swing of my waist, the joy in my feet. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Men themselves have wondered what they see in me. They try so much, but they can't touch my inner mystery. When I try to show them, they say they still can't see. I say, it's in the arch of my back, the sun of my smile, the ride of my breasts, the grace of my style. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Now you understand just why my head's not bowed. I don't shout or jump around or have to talk real loud. When you see me passing, it ought to make you proud. I say, it's in the click of my heels, the bend of my hair, the palms of my hands, the need for my care, because I'm a woman, phenomenally. Phenomenal woman, all you women and me. I love that. (laughs) She's just... Such a beautiful illustrator yeah. of concepts and oh snaps, snaps, <laughs> snaps <laughs> for Maya Angelo. So I have um <laughs> I've been telling Shaylin I have scratched the surface of, of Maya Angelo and um every single time I think I've kind of completed part of my research I find something new that is just so wonderful and fascinating to me and so I um in the previous episode had talked about how she had become the first black streetcar conductor right right in San Francisco at age 16 and so this was a summer job I know it's so cool well I came upon um, a story that she retells during an interview with Oprah Winfrey on how she got the job. Okay. And so I wanted to share that because it was, it's, it's awesome. So um, she, when she 
told her mom that's what she wanted to do. Her mom, Vivian, highly encouraged her to go and apply. When she got there, they would not give her an application. Okay. Because she's black. Right. So she came home, tells her mom they wouldn't give her an application. And her mom said, do you know why? And Maya says, Maya, Miss Angelo says, because I'm a Negro. And her mom says, exactly. So go back down there and you go down there until they let you apply. And she, she gave her money and she instructed her to go back to the office of the streetcar company or, you know, station or whatever. And um, she said, sit there and read. Um, she was reading these uh, several Russian novels at the time, like yeah. some Tolstoy. Yeah. And she said, bring one of your big Russian books and you sit there and you read it until the right person until you see the right person to ask and when they go out to lunch like the secretaries you go to a nice restaurant yourself and you get yourself something nice to eat and she gave her money to do this she did this for two weeks straight wow she sat there and read her book the secretaries would jeer at her push their lips out at her call her nasty names they were just rude and this 16 year old young woman sat there enduring racial slurs and being made fun of for wow. two weeks straight and finally this man comes out of his office and he says why do you want this job and <laughs> she says i like the uniforms <laughs> then I um, looked up a picture of the uniforms, and they are so cute. They have, they look kind of like a cadet uniform, yeah, you know? They have yeah. these, like, form-fitting jackets, and then the cute kind of cadet-style hats, and then there's, like, this belt that has the change. It has, like, all these yeah. change makers on it. And um, so he just thought that was he just loved her answer and he and he gave her the job that is so awesome that's like such a hard thing to do too especially like i remember when i was 16 and i was kind of nervous about everything in the world you know what i mean and so to you already have all of that you know social pressure against you and to be able to like sit there in an office where people are yeah being so horrible to you like I don't know that that takes a lot of courage at 16 (laughs) to do that it truly does and um during the interview uh what did oh I think Oprah said something similar to what you just said and Miss Angelo says I was less scared of sitting there enduring that than I was of having to of going home and telling my mom why I wasn't woman enough to stay there and wait. (laughs) I was like, that's amazing. Yeah. But that's the type of, you know, pride. And like, she was not going to go back and admit her defeat. So she would rather stay there and endure it. Yeah. And, it good, yeah good on her mother for like i don't know kind yeah. of building that up in her too because yeah. that's that's just a it's a hard thing a lot of people wouldn't have been able to do that so i don't know props yeah. to mom i guess totally know? so when she came home her mom asked what did you learn from that job yeah at, at the end because summer ended yeah and she was going back to school and her mom said you know what did you learn from that job and she said that that i like to work she said, well, what did you learn about yourself? Hmm. And she said, I don't know. And she said, you learned that you are very strong and that with determination and dedication, you can go anywhere in the world. Wow. And later in life, she went so many places in the world. Wow. And um, <laughs> I, th- I don't know if Miss Angelo knew this at the time, but her mom, after she would drop her off, at her job she would follow the streetcar in her car yeah. so she could see every single person that got on and she had a gun sitting in her passenger seat oh my to make gosh sh- to protect her she's daughter. like i'm not gonna yeah that like, that's a <laughs> that is a mama bear move right that there. is incredible yeah oh. yeah wow so as as like 
weird and strange as their early relationship was. Yeah. It really, um, her final autobiography is called Mom and Me and Mom. Mm-hmm. And it's about her relationship with her mother. And yeah. I have not read that one yet. And yeah. I, because I want to read them sub, uh, you know, in order. Right. And I'm really excited to read that just to hear more insight on what their relationship was like when they finally got to have one. Right. So, um, moving on. In 1951, Maya Angelo married Josh, or just Josh, sorry, Tosh Angelos, which I just love that name, Tosh. Yeah. It sounds so cool. He was a Greek man and former sailor, and he was a musician too. And this is where she eventually changes her name to, um, she, it, that's where she gets the Angelo okay. from, is from her first husband's last name. Okay. And their marriage was difficult because it was interracial and her mom disapproved. Mm-hmm. His family disapproved. In another interview I watched with her, a young woman was asking about interracial marriage or like what difficulties in marriage. And she, uh, Miss Angelo mentions that when you, it's, it's, you know, falling in love is outside of your control. Yeah. Nobody decides how can I make this as hard as possible as I can for myself. Yeah. You know, you fall in love with who you're going to fall in love with. Yeah. She said, but staying in love has its own challenges. Yeah. And in a, just in the best of circumstances, you know, you have challenges to stay in love with somebody and anybody that's been married for any amount of time knows this, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, but throw on additional difficulties the you know different cultures different races yeah you have all these things against you and it's even harder and so they weren't married incredibly long um but it sounds like during their marriage it was a loving one yeah that's that's yeah that's interesting um yeah I, I, I can't imagine like during that time period oh so difficult. how hard that would be because yeah. I feel like I don't it's I think it can be challenging for interracial couples even mm-hmm. today so during that time where yeah you know, especially especially now depending on where you're living yeah there's definitely areas that are you know a lot more progressive right. than others and um yeah yeah just a really in the 50s yeah very hard time yeah i know so during that time she met uh choreographers or choreographer and dancer alvin or dancers alvin a alvin ailey and ruth beckford and through this she she had always loved to dance but this is when she started to realize that she could potentially make herself a living off of dancing. Right, okay. And so she and Al start a group that they called Al and Rita. Because <laughs> she's still going that. by Marguerite Johnson yeah. at yeah. this point. And they would dance at lo- some local events in San Francisco. But it they never really hit it big. And right. I, I think, too, it's hard to... It's easier to create a mu- like a music... Uh, a musical duo but a dance duo yeah or like a small dance group yeah that's hard you well because that used to be what probably in like the 20s and 30s mm-hmm. that was like a big thing but it was yeah. usually they were the singers the dancers the choreographer the yeah. playwright you know mm-hmm. like all of the yeah all at the same time like that was a really popular time for all of that it yeah it makes like. me think of have you seen white christmas yeah yeah that's exactly what I was thinking. how they're like those the two guys you the know troop, they're doing yeah. like their little dances yeah. and they're singing and it's yeah. kind of you know <laughs> yeah back, back exactly. in the day what, in, what an interesting like <laughs> time period. all like these all these jobs are just like <laughs> so interesting i know you know usually i feel like you go work at mcdonald's and then you know maybe some kind of well, school think, and yeah. then you get a fun little office job and that's that you I know think, i think <laughs> I know. I think too, though. Back then, there was so such a better, I think, just worldwide appreciation for 
arts right. as far as it, yeah. like musical you know um it was like dancing. the main entertainment exactly really. it was like the main entertainment movies yeah. weren't you know not everybody had a t- tv tvs were not yeah they weren't know, in every home in every home exactly rooms, they weren't yeah. even in color yeah. y- yet you know yeah. and um now you know we're watching broadway musicals on television now, right yeah which feels it's great i mean i'm not mad about it but it's also like feels it's wrong like in a weird way yeah. too you know that there's musical there's con like the um taylor swift concert right. is now on tv yeah and so people can experience these things without attending them whereas in this um you know in the 50s and 60s right. and so on you went to live entertainment and we still do it's just i think it w- there, was there more... wasn't as many options you yeah know? yeah that's a good point yeah, yeah. um so the th- the three of them uh, her husband tosh and little baby clyde and maya and or uh, well marguerite johnson um, moved to new york city shortly after this to she really wanted to study African dance. Oh, cool. And there was a woman there. She has the coolest name in the world. Her name is Pearl Primus. <laughs> that and is a great a, name. Absolutely. It is the best name. And she um, was from Trinidad and she specialized in African dance. And so she spent a year there learning under Pearl's guidance and I mean, think about, like, she grew up in the South. Yeah. Midwest sometimes. And then over to California. And now she's, boom, all the way on the other other coast. Right, yeah. In New York City, training with a renowned African dancer. That's very cool. Like, already, like, that's so, that takes guts. Absolutely. To quit what, you know, to leave an entire place and uproot and just Go Especially when you have a child. I, know. I feel like that makes it so much more challenging yeah. just because you may not have as much support systems. Mm-hmm. You might not have that already, but I don't know. That, yeah. that makes it a lot harder, you know? Yeah. That's cool. And it, it says quite a bit to me about her husband, too, supporting her in yeah. that. That they all went yeah. to try to... He didn't, like, stay behind. Yeah. And Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. That's a really good point. So their marriage did end a few years later. Um, and then they moved back to San Francisco after a year in New York and there she started dancing professionally and she danced to Calypso music. I looked this up cause I wasn't familiar with what Calypso music is and it's, um, it's amazing. It's very tropical yeah. and they use a lot of steel drums yeah. and horns in the music and it's very kind of caribbean and yeah it just has these really beautiful tropical sounds to it and this around this time is when she ch- starts to change she decides to change her name to have something kind of fit that vibe a little bit better so she was going by marguerite johnson or rita which i think rita fits that vibe well too in my opinion yeah but that's when she changes her name to maya angelo yeah and um, that's kind of not just her stage name, but be really becomes just what she what she goes by. Yeah. So she gets into an opera called I don't know if it's Porgy or Porgy and Bess. I'm not sure, but um, this opera traveled throughout Europe. Oh wow! I know. So this is her first time abroad, and. She made it her goal to learn the language of every country that she visited. That is incredible. I am not a language person. <laughs> My mind has a hard time comprehending our own language, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I'm a mathematics type of girl myself. <laughs> that's that's really cool. That's awesome. I I took French in high school. And then after high... I do not have maya angelo's memory yeah um right basically directly after high school i couldn't remember <laughs> anything more than we oui. <laughs> <S'il vous plaît. laughs> 
<laughs> croissant. <laughs> oh. French fry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no. Um, but then I tried taking German. Okay. I tried taking a German course. German's like really challenging, right? Well, all I could say was French all of a sudden. Oh like my. it all came back. And you just remembered. All and the I, French. I had to quit the class because I, my brain could not switch. Are you for real? From That's French so to funny. German, wow. it couldn't do it. So, if I ever get better at French, I will only be bilingual. There's no hope for me to learn anything. That more is than that. so funny. Yeah, it was weird. It was weird. It just came back like a flood, and that was all I could say. So <laughs> they would like ask me, you know, I'd be trying to say this phrase, and I'd just be like. Je m'appelle Aubrey. I don't. I it's can't. in there. It's in there. I, when I go to Mexican restaurants, I am. I always wish I could say like. See now, I can't, I'm trying to think of the Spanish words. You now, can't even. And all I want to say once. is merci, like <laughs> gracias. I always want to say like you know gracias or. Yeah. Uh, and I can't. <laughs> That's like, I can't but although every single time, I am like merci, and I'm like that's not it, Aubrey. That That's not what you say here. So funny. And so I just speak English because I'm terrified I'm going to say something You're French say and then wrong. look like a, I'm yeah. just a Look jerk. at this dink. <laughs> like, know? no, it's trust yeah. me, it's a me problem. <laughs> that is literally so funny. But she ends up speaking five languages. That's amazing. That's incredible. <laughs> it's really, that is incredible. Oh. That's so cool. I wish. I don't know. I know. Maybe I should just try it out. When I, uh, have you ever taken a foreign language? Yes. So you're supposed to do it in high school. Right? Yeah. I did a uh, running start program. So I did college for my last two years of high school. So I took college courses and uh, for whatever reason, okay, I'll tell you why. I, I, I chose to do Latin, <laughs> oh. <laughs> which isn't a language you speak really. Um, but I chose this because in my mind, English, French, they're what? all Latin Italian, based. Spanish. They're all Latin mm-hmm. based. And I thought if I can learn Latin, this will help me because I was having a really hard time in my English classes. Okay. Um, I, I became a lot better at English when I started to teach English when I worked at the schools. Um, but anyway, I was just like, this will help me comprehend everything else better. And then if I ever choose to do these other languages, I'll have an easier time because I'll kind of have like a baseline. Yeah. No. Well, English just doesn't make any sense. It, so there's it just really no doesn't. reason. It's such an amalgamation, even... you know. It's <laughs> so no reason to think that you're gonna. I don't know. And like, <laughs> I'm sure, like, it probably did help because, like, when I'm reading and things like that, or if I see words in another language, sometimes I'm like, oh, I can kind of, kind Translated of pick an idea or, yeah. of what it's mm-hmm. kind of going on. So I guess it did help a little bit, but it was. I don't think I got a very good grade in that <laughs> class, but it was a good time. And the teacher, he was kind of like. Everybody like on campus is like, oh, this teacher, oh, you know. But he was really great. He knew, yeah. um, he like spoke eleven languages, but oh my knew gosh. more languages than that. Just like like because you don't really speak Latin, you can you can speak it, but it's not like you don't you don't really speak it, you know. That's crazy. And, um, anyway, wow, it was, it was really, really it was a good time. He was really great, and he he knew like he knew I was trying, and so he's really genial about it, and yeah. he really helped me, and he did a good job teaching. I yeah. just I just my mind is just like, but I think too, probably it would be easier to learn a language if you're actually speaking it with people who know yes, the language. That probably makes true. a huge yeah. difference. Like with you, like they're asking you questions in German and you're like speaking French all of a sudden, you know, like <laughs> it just, I think works out that way better. So maybe I'll give it a go again. We'll, well see. if you do learn French, okay. then we can practice. That'd be fun. Together. That'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, so there was a period of her life where she had some less than savory jobs. You can learn about those in her autobiography, Gathered Together in My Name. And someone once asked why she wrote about it. Mm. Because you could easily omit, I mean, it's her own, you know, it's her autobiography. She could omit whatever she wants. And she said, I wrote about my experiences because I thought too many people tell young folks, I never did anything wrong. Mm. Who? Moi? Mm. Never I. I have no skeletons in my closet. In fact, I have no closet. They lie like that, and then young people find themselves in situations, and they think, damn, I must be a pretty bad guy. Hmm. My, mom or na- my mom or dad never did anything wrong, 
and then they can't forgive themselves and go on with their lives. Wow, that is a really, really great point. I appreciate that so much too. about her. That's I do really too. Good. I really appreciate that about her. And, you know, it makes me think of, I know we've talked about this before, but as a parent, I mean, this is a small example, but yeah. as a parent, obviously I'm not going to tell my kids all the things right. until they're older, you know, like Old mistakes that to I've made. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I apologize when I'm wrong. Right. Because, and it's, you know, sometimes when Chad and I argue, we don't hide it from the kids all the time. Right. You know, sometimes if we're, you know, really frustrated, we'll ask them to leave the room so that we can talk in private. But I think it's okay for kids to see conflict yeah. and resolution and resolution and to know yeah. like this our is marriage how you argue. perfect this right is how we you argue yeah. exactly and I apologize you know I apologize often because I make mistakes often mm. and I apologize to my children when I'm wrong and I yeah. want them to see that I want them to know I it's a good skill make a mistake and that's kind of in alignment yeah. with that like I love that that's good she has that view yeah know? no that's that's so true I think um yeah, it's important. Like, it's an important skill for children mm-hmm. to learn. And I think um, a lot of people kind of miss that because you have to, like, obviously, if there's going to be arguing or whatever in front of children, that resolution part is so key to show them too. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. it's like kind of weird, you know. But yeah, how else can you learn such a skill, really? Yeah. Like, I think that's and a to learn great to, way like, to learn. She's so big on forgiving yourself. Yeah. And that's so true. Because how many times we can forgive others, we right. can say kind things about others, but to love yourself. Yeah. Yeah, we were we were literally just talking about that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah. gosh, am I doing this parenting thing right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, and it's like, yes, you have to be able to, yeah, kind of once you know better, you do better, right? Yeah. Like, move on. Okay, this wasn't quite right. Let me try that again, you know? Like, yeah. That's a good, that's a good perspective. I, I think know. that's a really good way to have a what they call it growth mindset isn't mm. that the big that's a big term everybody uses right yeah um yeah you can't grow if you can't fess up to mistakes you've made mm-hmm. so especially with your children or anybody else in your life it's such a great way to teach people yeah and show like hey i did this but i'm better now you know yeah that's really cool i love that that's um one of the things i remind my athletes is that the word fail, I saw this somewhere, but fail is first attempt in learning. Yeah. And sometimes for me, it's like the 80th, 50th, attempt, in 50th attempt in learning. 50th attempt in learning. You know, yeah. but you know, it's, it's true that we all yeah. have aspects of our life that if we could go back now, you might not do. Right. But you learn from those things. And in, you know, her case, her point is you can use that. To benefit somebody else too, just in the knowledge of it, admitting like you're wrong or admitting you had this aspect of your life that wasn't great and Mm -hmm. letting them know you can forgive yourself and move on. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think those, those things, those moments, those things are really building blocks in your life. You know, like I think about, you know, all my life and if everything didn't go together how it went together Mm -hmm. uh, my life would look very different right now you know and I'm glad where my life is I'm gonna continue trying to be even better than I am today yeah but yeah I'm grateful for all that you know (laughs) yeah me too so um in 1957 she created her own album called Miss Calypso and it's on Spotify and that's the one I was listening to this morning and it's just great. It's delightful to listen to. And through that, she got rec- people started hearing about her. And she was asked to create kind of her own like off-Broadway musical production called oh, wow. Calypso Heatwave. Wow. And there's this beautiful, stunning picture of her in this sh- dress that's kind of off the shoulder. And it has like a slit up the leg. And she's barefoot and she's just standing there with her arms open, smiling. And it's just, I love that picture of yeah. her. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it's from um, the Calypso heat wave. You can find her on Spotify. <laughs> I don't know if I already said that. <laughs> you can find her on Spotify. Find her on Spotify. And this podcast. You can find this podcast and Maya Angelou on Spotify. 
1959, she met John Oliver Killens. He was an author, and he was... <laughs> I looked him up briefly, but he was known... I've never heard... I feel like maybe I've heard this phrase, but I'm not sure. But he's known for coining the phrase kicking ass and taking names oh really have you ever heard that yes i have heard that that's so funny (laughs) i know i don't i never really thought about all these phrases have an origin you know (laughs) yeah that's so cool i love it i know i love it that's funny (laughs) (laughs) kicking ass and taking names he really encouraged her to move back to new york city but this time to pursue a career in writing okay because um i think through her music and um he started to realize she has a major talent. And that year, she did. She moves to New York. And that year, she published her first writing that she's ever published. In 1960, she met Martin Luther King Jr. And um, she and Killens organized a massive fundraiser for civil rights mm. and to help with the movement. It was called a Cabaret, or cabaret for Freedom. Wow. And I really want to look up more information on that because I'm that this is where there's so many. You could take one piece of this and that could be a whole episode. I just she's incredible. So I really want to look up more on that. But um, anyway, that's my own thing. It's on my list. You don't have to put it on your list (laughs) through the civil rights activism that she was involved in. She met Vuz. This is such a cool name too. Um, Vuz. I can't even say it. Vuzumzi Make. And he was a South African civil rights activist. And they fell in love. They didn't get married, but they fell in love and lived their lives together for a while. And with him, she moved to Cairo, Egypt. Wow. She moved to Egypt with her son. That's crazy. And... Everywhere she goes, she's putting her mark on the on the place that she's in. Yeah. She she never went one place without doing something to her fullest or trying to put, you know, like putting herself out there everywhere she went. So in Cairo, she becomes the associate editor of the Arab Observer. And unfortunately, her relationship with Make ended, but... She was still in Cairo and she decided to move just, this is, she's a single mom yeah. in Egypt and she decides to move her and her son to Accra, Ghana and to go to a college there. And, um, but while there, her son gets in, injured in a car accident mm. and so she puts the college off for the time being and she stays in Accra until he's fully recovered. Wow. I know. I, that's, that was one I couldn't, didn't really find a lot of information on, you know, like what happened or anything like that. But, um, and then she ends up living there until 1965 and becomes the feature editor for the African Review. <laughs> of wow. course. You know, yeah. it's like she just, her, I think her perse so much of her perseverance I keep thinking back to her getting that job as a the first black streetcar conductor. Yeah. And her mom asking what she learned. Right. And determination is going to get you take you all over the world and I, it did. And I think yeah. she shows that time and time again that she used that every single, you know, she I'm just going to become the feature editor for the African Review. It's yeah. amazing because yeah. there's times where I'm like, well, I don't know if I can do that. Right. It's like she probably, I wonder if she even ever asks herself, if right. she yeah. tells herself that she doesn't think she can do something. I think she knows she can. She just, yeah, it doesn't yeah. even question that. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. She also wrote for um, a radio. Uh, what's that called? A radio station. Oh, (laughs) my brain stopped for a radio station in Ghana, and she would perform for the station too. Some of her music, and while she's in Ghana, Malcolm X ends up somehow. They end up in the same place at the same time, and she meets him, and they become really close friends. How fascinating! What a life! It's (laughs) it's wild. 
something I learned, I didn't know this about Malcolm X, and maybe I learned it um, in elementary school, but his original, his birth name was Malcolm Little, Mm -hmm. and he changed his name to X to represent his unknown African origin, Mm -hmm. what his name should have been. Wow. And I I just find that so incredible. I'm like, that's, that is a boss move. I love it. Yeah. I just think that's really, really great, you know, to get rid of the name that was forced upon his family generations ago yeah and the x representing the unknown yeah of what it should have been yeah like, that's powerful it is and i wish i'd know i wish i knew that this whole time right <laughs> and, and maybe i knew it but then lost it yeah. i'm just glad to know it now yeah. because that's that's awesome so she ends up returning to the u.s to help mr x build a civil rights organization and um, unf- this is terrible, but shortly after Malcolm X is assassinated and at this point, she's not sure what to do. Right. You know, she, I, I can't, it's one thing to have someone that you really look up to in a political figure killed. Right. I mean, how many times is a celebrity pass away that we're all sad, you know, right. but to have this person also be such a close friend to you. It's really devastating. Yeah. And so she ends up, her brother, Bailey Jr., was living in Hawaii at the time. And so she moves to Hawaii just to, I I think Hawaii is such a magical place. And I'm hoping this brought just some healing, you know. Um, But she didn't live there very long. She just went and lived there for a while with Bailey Jr. And then in 1968... Martin Luther King Jr. asks her to organize a march. And she jumps right on the opportunity. So she comes back and he was assassinated before all of it was able to happen. Gosh. So now two people that she yeah. was close with and cared about are killed. Wow. It, with hate crimes, you yeah. know. That's ugh. Yeah. It's not accidental deaths. These people were murdered. Yeah assassinated and he was killed on her 40th birthday oh gosh i know that's like i had to like look it up just to make sure that was <laughs> yeah like, wow it really was it was on her 40th birthday that's like really traumatic you know because I've, I've thought like obviously for us being voices for such a big movement that's a really big deal but yeah to have yeah your personal friend I know. That's, yeah. And repeatedly. I know. In such like a short two, span of two time. Two in a short span of time. Awful. After this, she wrote and helped produce a 10-part documentary called Blacks, Blues, Black. And it was about um, black, the black community and blues music and just the origin of it. And it ended up being produced fully produced by what is now known as PBS. Wow. So there was, it had a different name the company did back then. And during this time, she also wrote, I know why the caged bird sings, which is basically what our first episode, you know, covered a lot of that. And um, that book was published the following year. So I think these tragedies at gave her a moment to pause and kind of reflect on her own life. Yeah. And that's, you know, where she wrote that. Yeah. She also wrote a volume of poems called, uh, um, called just give me a cold drink of water before I, or just give me a cold drink of water before I die. And she was nominated for the Pulitzer prize. Wow. Not many people can say that. Yeah. <laughs> In 1972, um, Angelo released Georgia, Georgia, and this was a movie that was filmed and produced in Sweden, and it was the, she wrote um, the screenplay, and it was produced, and she was the first black woman to produce, or to, hold on, sorry, I'm saying this wrong. She was the first black woman to write a screenplay that was produced. Wow. 
So she's already covered several firsts. That's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. She wrote the soundtrack for it as well and would go on to write the soundtrack and compose soundtracks for many different things. That's so cool. It's composers. My brain cannot comprehend yeah. composing anything. Creating music is so cool. Christian I mean, Christian does that. I'm just like, that's what? Okay. For sure. For sure. It's, there's like a level of like genius mentality yeah. that has to be there for someone to be able to yeah. think of all of those things coming together. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I can't I even think of German and French mind. at the same time. <laughs> so it's not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like my mind isn't expansive enough for these things, you know. Like, no. mine either. <laughs> mine either. We're in it together. <laughs> um, so now she moves back to San Francisco, and here she met and married Paul DeFu, who was a Welsh carpenter. As I said, she composed movie scores, TV scripts, documentaries. Many short stories, poetry, um, all seven autobiographies throughout her years. The same, um, so she was also nominated for a Tony Award. Yeah, that's Because, so <laughs> cool. you know, um, for Look Away. And the Tony Awards are given for excellence in live Broadway theater, which, how many awards is that? <laughs> like, Three? Well, she got the Pulitzer, <laughs> the Tony. What else? She got? She's got another one coming. Okay. A couple more, okay. and probably uh, even more. Like yeah. there's so many. Yeah. But um, and that's just awesome. In 1970, she met Oprah Winfrey. Back then, Oprah, which I just like this little Oprah fact, but her name was actually Orpa, is what her family named her, mm-hmm. and. Her, it was written wrong on her birth birth certificate and they kept it well yeah. which i think oprah is so beautiful yeah so. <laughs> um and she was a tv anchor in maryland at the time okay they became very close friends all throughout the rest of miss angelo's life and she was has been a huge mentor yeah to oprah winfrey that's so cool yeah. i was gonna say like a mentor yeah yeah wouldn't you want somebody like that to be your mentor (laughs) that's how I feel about my mom yeah she's just she's such a wise person and so many times I've come to her with just a difficulty in my life and there's nothing nothing I can say to her that shocks her nothing that I can say to her that she shuns Mm. everything I say to her she comes back with words of wisdom yeah and it's that's great meant the world to me yeah love you mom <laughs> <laughs> um defu and angelo do to get, get divorced in 1981 and during that time she decides to return to the south and to kind of come to grips with her past hmm. and you know there's she's gone through so many traumas and had this incredible life of adventure up until this point too. And she does in the future. But I think, you know, we all reach that point where you some reconciliation. Yeah. You know, some emotional reconciliation needs needs to happen. So, yeah. Like a conf- con- confronting all those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm afraid to do that, but <laughs> someday it'll happen probably. <laughs> It will. Yeah. It will someday. Yeah. And it'll happen when it's meant to. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Um, so while there, she becomes a full-time professor wow. at Wake Forest <laughs> University. And she is offered and accepts the Lifetime Reynolds Professorship of American Studies Award. Wow. She does not have her bachelor's degree. I love it. I love that so much. That's incredible. <laughs> She's just that brilliant yeah. that everybody recognizes it. Yeah. And that it's, again, proof that paper is paper. Yeah. Do you know how many people I know that have a degree that are stupid? So many. <laughs> so Trish many. and I were just talking about that. <laughs> it's like, just because you have it doesn't mean no. a whole lot, you know? No. Like, yeah, you could find really intelligent people 
who are not working in traditionally, you know. Yeah. You know, there's a certain idea of what smart people do and what dumb people do. And Mm -hmm. that is not always the case. So (laughs) very true. And I I just love that. I love that it was recognized by everyone. Yeah. Just the level of her brilliance and her knowledge and wisdom. And yeah, I'm like, yes, yes. Go my I mean, she's clearly seeking out knowledge and everywhere she goes. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it just is hard to yeah put that mm-hmm. to a piece of paper and say, I know this information, you know? Yeah. 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 I love that. So she started giving lectures in 1990 through all over, all over the world and did that all the way up into her eighties. That's so cool. I know. That's so cool. In 1993, President Bill Clinton asked her to recite a poem called On the Pulse of Morning. And it's a really beautiful poem. It's really long, so I didn't include it in our... um, You guys will have to find that one on your own. And my favorite thing... I found several... So many of her poems. There's tons of YouTube videos out there of people reading her poems. But find ones that she's reading. Because there is nothing like... A sound of her voice reading her poems it's just beautiful yeah it'll change it'll change you when you yeah. listen to her voice and she read that poem she recited that poem at his inauguration um the recording of her reading that poem won her a grammy <laughs> that's crazy isn't wow oh cool i know <laughs> I didn't even know that could happen. Right, yeah. I'm like, yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. But, I didn't okay. either. I know. Nice. She directed a feature film in 1996 called Down in the Delta. She's also worked with R&B artists, Ashford and Simpson, and she did a co- collaboration with their music. I'm, ass- I'm assuming it was for, like, her poetry skills. Yeah. I'm not really sure what role she played, but it made the billboard charts. <laughs> She's yeah, of course. You yeah. Know. She's just an an artist, like full circle artist. Yeah. In two thousand two, she completed her sixth autobiography. It's called A Song Flung Up to Heaven. And um I'm not on that one yet. I'm only on the third one. <laughs> but I can't wait. It's in my I have I had a bunch of audible credits yeah. that I didn't realize I had. Because yeah. Chad Chad and I had separate audible accounts. Yeah. And so mine, I, I use them all up so fast. And, um, so with, and then he's like, oh, you know, you have like a bunch of audible credits on, cause he doesn't really use it very often. I was like, really? And I had like 12. I don't know what so, audible credits are. Is that like oh, money? Oh, sorry. To buy it's, a book? <laughs> yeah. So okay. it's, um, audio books. Right. And I have a membership, so I pay each month, okay. and then you get a, a credit, and each book costs one credit. Okay. And so... Okay. That is a lot of credits. Dang. I know. 12 bucks. But this... It was great, because yeah. I'm like, well, like bye, there's bye. seven of them. <laughs> like, I want <laughs> to listen great. to everything she's ever written. Yeah. Um, in 2010, she donated a bunch of her personal papers to the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture. Okay. This ended up being like original writing, hand handwritten um, rough drafts of I Know Why a Caged Bird Sings. Wow. There's letters, yeah. correspondences, poems, handwritten manuscripts, 340 boxes. Wow. Of these writings that wow. she donated she's a writer that is her yeah. passion you know it's like so funny is i have journaled throughout my life um, and i have a lot of my old journals the thought of anybody ever reading one of my journals oh it's mortifying i'd rather burn my house down <laughs> like, it's very dramatic you know i'm aware many... but <laughs> nightmare so... i know it's scary Although I do like rereading like my middle school journals. <laughs> it's so angsty and you're like, calm down. Oh my gosh. You know, <laughs> so angsty. <laughs> it's like, relax, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That is so funny. It's so true. <laughs> but no, I, 
totally agree. And I love that she has chosen to live her life as an open book yeah. for the benefit of all of us. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. It makes me, I don't know. I'm like kind of questioning things. I'm like maybe I shouldn't be so clammed up. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I do. I'm kind of clammy. I'm a clam yeah. here. <laughs> I'm closed up here. I'm closed up over here. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I mean, I get it though. Yeah. I'm that way too. Yeah. I know it's, yeah, maybe yeah. when I read more of hers, yeah. we'll crack that shell. Yeah. <laughs> um, in 2011, she received the Presidential Medal of Freedom presented to her by President Barack Obama, Dang. whom she had supported during his campaign. Yeah. In 2013, at age 85, at age 85, she completed her seventh autobiography. It's fantastic. I I love hearing things like this because I think especially in American culture, we've lost viewing anybody of a certain age. At, we used to view elderly people with wisdom, like, oh, they're wise they deserve some respect. They've lived this life. Right. They have so much to offer. And we've really, as a culture, lost so much of that. Yeah. And it's the young people that have something to offer now. Mm. And mm. the elderly don't. Yeah. In our, I'm not saying this. Right. I'm saying that's, that's kind the of mentality. How our society views. And, yeah. and, oh my gosh, I sure, like... I would love to be 85 and still doing something I'm passionate about. So these hearing these things makes me not fear aging. It makes me look forward to every step along the way. And um, yeah, it's just incredible that she all the way up until she's doing what she loves and what she's passionate about. And my own grandma, she's 83 and she's, constantly doing things that she enjoys doing and it's i love that like yeah. that's that's it's, what i that's hope for, for myself yeah, yeah absolutely so i think so cool. i hate that mentality that it's like oh that's they don't have you're anything. washed up yeah you're old yeah, news it's so weird to me because yeah. it's like it's the same as like the people that treat kids like they're not humans yeah. it's like you you were one you remember being one yeah, right like absolutely. with elderly people you want to do you not want to be that someday? <laughs> I mean, that's my goal. I don't right. know when you plan on leaving, but yeah. I plan on hanging on until I can't. <laughs> you know, it's just strange. Like I plan on living a full life to yeah. the end. I yeah. Don't... No, that's so good. I know. I hope. I hope that I can. I can live so long and yeah, be doing things that I love to do all the way to the end. You yeah. know, like that's absolutely that's that's the goal. That's the dream, isn't it? Yeah. That's so it's my dream. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> but ain't yours. That's okay. Um, tell Coming me more about that, I guess. <laughs> Send me an email. Uh, TheResolutePod at gmail.com. <laughs> I'd be curious to hear more information about that. We'll just do a whole episode I about it. And on not living life to its fullest at 60. <laughs> it's like, are you going to succumb to a disease? Are you going to... I don't you know. know. <laughs> I haven't decided yet. <laughs> what? How would you yeah. just plan to stop? Yeah. <laughs> it's strange. It's such a funny thought. But all the way up to the end, um, she passed away on May 28th, 2014 at age 86. And all the way up to the end, her son said, she left this mortal plane with no loss of acuity and no loss in comprehension, which is really incredible. That's how I hope to be too, man. Yeah, me too. I think my, my grandmother had a, what is it called? Like dementia or something. Mm. One of those awful, awful way to go. Mm. We're hoping, fingers crossed. I don't want that yeah. to happen to me. But it's more common in women. So really <laughs> fun fact for you. <laughs> something to look forward to in your old age. <laughs> wow. That's, that's wild. No, my, my grandma's rock solid, man. Nice. She's a brilliant, brilliant woman. And Hello, Grandma. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Does your grandma listen, too? 
She does. Oh, yeah. that's so awesome. I uh, know. And I'm like talking about her as if she's not listening. She's probably see. listening right now. Hello, Aubrey's grandma. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm going to end this episode with another poem. This one is one of my favorites that I've read of hers so far. And it's called Caged Bird. A free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream till, till the current ends. And dips his wing in the orange sun rays and dares to claim the sky. But a bird that stalks down his narrow cage can seldom see through his bars of rage. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The caged bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still. And his tune is heard on the distant hill. For the caged bird sings of freedom. The free bird thinks of another breeze, and the trade winds soft through the sighing trees, and the fat worms waiting on a dawn bright lawn, but he names the sky or, and he names the sky his own. But a caged bird stands on the grave of dreams, his shadow shouts on a nightmare scream, his wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The caged bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still, and his tune is heard on the distant hill, for the caged bird sings of freedom. The caged bird stands on the grave of dreams is just... (sighs) gets you, you know? Yeah. Powerful imagery in her poems. mm -hmm. Makes you, I don't know. uh, Poetry is so challenging to read in that you have to it's almost confronting your like emotional self and so you have to like for me i have to really pause take a moment Mm -hmm. okay let me yeah get into reflect Yeah. yeah yeah so that is i mean i feel like i rushed through so much of her life but there's it shaylin was saying like we could do an entire entire episodes on like one part one little tidbit, i mean you would absolutely. almost need to do a podcast just on her alone right and um yeah her i please research more everyone and read her writings they're incredible and she's just her interviews I could watch her all day. Like, I did. I have, actually, several times. Like, that's what I've been doing. That's what I've been doing. Um, But there's nothing like the sound of her voice and her countenance and the way she speaks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It'll change you. It's incredible. Sounds like there's a lot to be learned from Maya Angelou. Did I say that right? You did. Okay. <laughs> I was like hesitating. I'm like, wait. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm excited. And so much writing. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like w- one thing I'm kind of thinking about too is like how rare it is to appreciate a person who's done things like this while they're still alive. Mm-hmm. And like, obviously now she's passed, but um, she was definitely recognized in her own yeah. time. Yeah. And how great that we have all of these things from her to to still look at and read and listen to and yeah watch <laughs> and everything um i'm definitely excited to do some reading yeah it'll be great after the baby comes <laughs> i know i'm excited for you too and to read her works and then for i'm excited for our conversations yeah. after we've both read yeah even more of her works you know yeah so yeah i hope you guys enjoyed this episode um, we have, so switching gears here, we would love some feedback from you guys. We would love for you guys to write in. Mm-hmm. If you have a story to tell, yeah, we would love to hear it yeah. and we would love to share it. So please write us at the resolute pod at gmail.com or you can send us Instagram message or Facebook message, um, whatever is the easiest for you. Uh, but yeah, we would love to hear your stories because this is kind of what we're all about. Obviously, there's a lot of really incredible people in history that we've heard their name and we want to know more about their story. But we'd love to hear people's private stories too. Yeah, things that you would never hear otherwise. Mm-hmm. It it would be it's part of the goal of this whole podcast. So yeah. 
please or, write it yeah please do or if you have a family member's story yeah. that you'd like to share we can you know you can change the names if yeah. you want if you want it to be a little more anonymous that's totally fine um but yeah we'd love to hear back from you guys you can follow us anywhere that you get podcasts mm-hmm. if you want to become a supporter of uh the podcast you can do that at patreon.com or through spotify mm-hmm. and but as always the best support you can offer is listening yep share us with your friends um tell us your favorite episodes what do you want to hear more of yeah thank you guys so much for listening all right have a good day Bye-bye. bye bye